0: From Newfoundland and Labrador, Canada, you are listening to Global Frequencies, Diverse Province, Diverse Voices. This program is presented by the Association for New Canadians and CHMR 93.5 FM with funding from the Community Radio Fund of Canada. This program is available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more.
1: Welcome to Global Frequencies, diverse province, diverse voices. I'm your friend and host, Nabila Qureshi, and this is episode four, where we always strive to bring entertaining and educational content for you. For today on our show, we have a very special guest. The executive producer of Global Frequencies, Zai Nova, has interviewed a plethora of people spanning over 14 years in his radio career in Indonesia, but we never got to hear his story. Zai and I actually go back to 2018. We met and we used to work together for a radio station at CHMR. And all the while he was always the brains behind the show in terms of editing and all that magic. But he just never wanted to be interviewed then. I suppose he was waiting for the right moment and the right time, and this is that day. Before we get into Immigrant Story with Zai, uh, we have a couple of really cool youth, Zuba and James Paré from South Sudan, who will later on in the show be presenting to us three songs that they have sang in studio for us. Well, one is also recorded. A spiritual song to get them through tough times and a couple of R&B songs. So, let's get started. Zainova. Indonesia is where he comes from. He left his hometown when he was 17. And finally, through a series of many adventures, finally made home and made sense of home here in Newfoundland. Before I get started with him, one quote that he swears by. And it goes something like this. I don't need pity. My journey of life is an art to find my true self. Let's talk to the arts lover guy himself, Zainova. Welcome to the show that you have helped bring. Nabila, I
0: I don't know. This is uh, the situation. I'm nervous now.
1: Don't be. Uh, Actually, you know what? It's okay. Be, because maybe then you will give some really nice, cool answers as well, too. I
0: know that. I think this is what happened to a number of interviewees I interviewed before. They are nervous, look nervous. and, And now I'm sitting here. I'm nervous as well. What I'm going to tell about?
1: Well, how about this? Maybe we'll start off with a song because for those who are unaware Zai is a very accomplished and brilliant musician he not only sings but plays acoustic guitar um I think right you think so anything else thank you for that
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah I I write songs I think almost a thousand now and play a bit guitar
1: yeah okay so then you know one of your famous ones is don't tell me mutter don't tell, us, tell, tell us about that. Yeah, don't don't
0: tell me, mother, is about uh, my life of uh, finding home in Newfoundland. And this song is written by Daryl Power and me and uh, another guitarist as well, Colm Lata. So three of us uh, sit down together and yeah, it's all about the day I was born until I'm here finding my home in Newfoundland.
1: So uh, tell me just very briefly, why did you choose this particular title for the song?
0: It's all about the ideology was taught to me in the, I, I have to mention this, that in Islamic tradition, we are, we are not allowed to drink alcohol, beer, whiskey, or whatever type of alcohol. It's Understandable because the number of folks who drink, uh, they fought to each other. So we don't want this to happen. So let's avoid alcohol. So my mother used to say, if you want to drink alcohol, beer, whiskey, or something like that, someday in paradise. In paradise, God will provide you all kind of alcohol. So then when I came to Newfoundland, then we moved to one a beautiful town in this province called Town of Paradise. Voila, mama. But don't tell me mother. (laughs) Mm,
1: So, a nice spin on the words right there. So, one of the lyrics says, I was born in Bangka in 1980. My mom and dad loved me. It's all right by me. Tell us more about Bangka Island.
0: Banka Island. If I describe Banka Island, it like a Newfoundland, a separate island from the mainland. Actually, Indonesia is more than 14,000 islands all across the archipelago. Banka Island, in general, is a rich in natural resources, especially tin mining. It's one of the biggest tin mining production in the world. So that's very rich, but they what they left for us, Bad school, bad street. So 1980s when I was born, no electricity at all. The first electricity came to the village was around 1991. So during the time only kerosene lantern, that's all what we got. So when we wake up early in the morning, our nose will be black with smoke from the lantern. We have a house in the village, Sumpan village, and that was a really ugly simple house. I have four brothers and three sisters, and I'm number fifth. But most of the time we spent uh, in the farm because it was easier for us to grow our vegetables and also grow our rice for one year's supply. And it's easier for us to go hunting as well, fishing. So that's a, that's a Banka, And also in some part of Banka Island, you don't need fertilizer to grow your vegetable. You can harvest without uh, fertilizer. Huh? Why is that? Uh, because it's it's the soil is very good,
1: mm. and
0: also the beaches there to me in my view extremely beautiful with big rock and uh, white sand. One day I showed a picture of the beaches to a friend here and said, "This is very beautiful. People spend a lot of money just to go to visit this kind of place. It's beautiful. Why you left your hometown?" I said, "Only one freedom." that's what we are looking for and freedom cost.
1: You've told me before we chatted that uh, you and your brother, Don, um, when you guys were seven and eight, you guys used to walk uh, quite a lot to get to your school from your village. Yeah. Um, approximately two hours in total yeah so tell me more about that
0: yeah back in the day we went to school bare feet right no shoes hard to buy shoes a bad economy and one of our friends still went to school naked like fully fully naked (laughs) so and me and my younger brother had to walk almost two hours from our farm to the village To learn how to read and write and also sometimes we didn't take a bath going to school from the farm to the village. However, because we walk across the street miles and miles among big forest and then we will find river and then we jump to the river and just continue walking again to the school. We did that for years, right? Uh, We just need to go to school from our farm. And back again, so total is sometimes almost four hours go from our farm to the village and back again after school from village to farm. So we walk again across the street and, you know, not many cars back in the day. We were experienced almost being kidnapped by three men. So uh, that was very famous back in the day. We call it Chibok Ate. Chibok Ate is the folks who kidnap a kids for sacrifice but my younger brother and I experienced that uh, terrified moment so after that every time we walk from our farm to village to go to school every time we hear the sound of motorcycle or, or car we will jump into the forest until the car gone or motorcycle gone because we were traumatic we were terrified being kidnapped. But we had no choice because uh, that's the best way for us to learn how to read and write. We need to walk miles and miles. So, uh, sometime I, I'm thinking about if my younger brother and I were kidnapped, that means my mother would call our names every day, want her son to come back. So, that's, that was terrified time. So, the story about my relationship with Water Buffalo. It's a best relationship between me, my younger brother, and also our water buffaloes and how we grew up. And it was fun as kids, right? And during the time, that uh, was the first time my my father had a kidney problem, had to be hospitalized for years and uh, sent to Jakarta for treatment. In that time, I had to take care of my younger brother. And so we both didn't go to school much, so we failed a number of times in school because uh, we love to play with our water buffaloes and uh, also hunt birds and jump into the river and swim and we just climb the trees and while our buffalo is in the water so we jump from the trees bang so just uh, and swim with uh, our buffaloes and uh, back home again When uh, almost sunset we watched sunset uh, and sit on the back of the buffaloes. That's uh, when my father was sent to Jakarta for dialysis and my mother and another younger brother, uh, I think uh, about three years old and one is only two years old. And so my mother and two younger brothers had to be with them in Jakarta. So me and another sisters uh, live in Bangka Island, but they have their own life and me and Don, mostly we have our own adventure uh, with our water buffaloes. So if you ask me, uh, how's your childhood? Happy. <laughs> Happy childhood,
1: <laughs> and uh, sounds like it was um, a lot of splish and splash.
0: Ah, uh, yeah, and and also a lot of journey as as, as a as a kid. You know, uh, as a kid, I love to fight. <laughs> I love to fight and to cry and bleed. You know, that's so that's that's what what I was when I was a kid.
1: So that was you when you were young. So obviously, you transitioned into adult life. How did that happen?
0: Adult life, um, when I was 15 years old, I think that start to discover my sexual orientation. I felt uncomfortable with that. And then I went to mosque. There was a preacher said, someone who is attracted to the same sex called homosexual need to be punished, thrown from high building, or kicked out from the land, or beaten. I said to myself, that's me, what I'm supposed to do. And then at 2017, I asked that teacher, where did you study Islam? And he recommended this in Java, far away from this land. So I decided to go. That was the first time I saw my mother cry. And she waved her hand for the last time. And I was so excited because I just want to get rid of something uncomfortable inside me. So it took about two days from Benka Island to this island called Madura Island. With a big passenger ship economy class and we just slept on the floor. And uh, when we arrived, I was nervous because that was the first time as a teenager away from family and hometown. So long story short, in that boarding school, I wrote a letter to the headmaster. Or we call him Kiai. I said, sir, I'm a homosexual. That's the reason I'm coming here. What I have to do? And he said, pray five times a day, read Quran, and don't forget to wake up like at 2 or 3 a.m. To pray more because when people are sleeping and you you uh, you awake and you pray, God will answer your prayer. So I did that for almost three years. Crying and just begging for mercy. Begging for God to get rid of a, a demon inside me. That's wrong. That's wrong. What I have in my mind that day only that I was born as a wrong person. That's it. And I start to reject myself. Now think about this who will accept me if i reject myself
1: so can you make the distinction that uh, that perhaps what the headmaster or whatever the ideology was at the school um was misinformed because that sounds like it was very oppressive and
0: well there is a moment that when you are a teenager you're confused about yourself because you were informed that way generation to generations and that uh, there's no room for us to discuss about this. There's an uh, elephant in the room, but nobody wants to discuss about this. This is, uh, this is only a mistake. That's that's it. Because we were taught that every gender had to orbit around straightness. The standard of normal is straightness. So whatever your gender is, if you are not straight, you're wrong. That's what they believe and they believe in that and they oppress that to people. So uh, at this day, funny thing happened to me like, oh my. I beg for mercy for the mistake that I've never done. How could you? So that's uh, the thing that uh, I discover a bit challenging. I don't see this as a a difficult time. Because uh, this is how I grew up. I'm curious. Why? Why you don't like me? Why you hate me? And why? Where is this from? I didn't choose to be human being. I didn't choose to be a homosexual. I don't choose to be this, to be that. But why you hate me? Why that is you can offer me? Hate. Why don't you embrace me? Now you want me to embrace your religion and you don't embrace me. What is this all about? So if you want me to embrace you, please embrace me. Let's make, make a pact. If you hate me, do not expect me to give you a rose. It's not fair if I always give you love, give you whatever you want, but you never want me. And you said I'm like a, like a vermin. So I have seen a number of uh, LGBT communities. They were kicked out from their families, rejected and uh, live alone on the street, no access to get job, persecuted. They work hard, pay taxes for no rights. So by the way, after finish my study at the boarding school, I came back again to the village. I spent a year in the village, became a teacher, teaching Arabic and how to read Quran and uh, wrote calligraphy and uh, just uh, teach a little bit uh, of how to understand Quran, that's it.
1: So then when did the radio, the calling into the radio world, when and how did that happen?
0: Oh, yeah. So I uh, I want to change my, my future. So after Islamic boarding school and become a teacher for a year, and then I get my certificate to continue my study at university. So I told my mother and my father, I want to go to Java, to Java, to Yogyakarta. Yogyakarta is a, uh, what we call an educational city because many people come from all over Indonesia to study there in Yogyakarta. So in Yogyakarta, uh, before I leave, uh, I sat down with my father. My father was watching TV uh, back in the day. I was there uh, saying, uh, father, I want to go to Java, I want to go to university. So my father said, you are my hope. Because among four of my brothers, I'm uh, when I was a kid, uh, my father and my mother I already seen that uh, you are the smartest one among them. So he said, when I die, don't make your mother work in her all day. Secure her life financially. So that was the last time he said to me. And after that, I'd never seen him again. And when he died, even I didn't come home to bury him. Because I was in Yogyakarta, still in my studying. And I had no money to come back in the same day. Because our tradition is if you die today, you will be buried tomorrow. So it's like now, not only financially, family burden me. Also, my identity burdened me as well. So it's like, okay, now I'm double burdened by the situation. Until today, I keep my promise to my father. I'm not gonna make every minute my mother suffer financially because that's what I promised to my father. So I went to Java from Banka by bus because uh, to cut the expenses, I need the money when I arrive in New Jakarta and you know, to survive for a month uh, at least uh, until I get a like a transfer from uh, my parents. So long story short, I got a bus and I had to stand inside the bus because that was a very small bus and ugly and full of shacks and gallons of oil. So, there was no space for me to sit down because it's full of people. So, I stand uh, on the bus about three hours until finally someone offered me to relax or sit down uh, on a shack. So, I fell asleep on that shack. So, long story short, I arrived in Yogyakarta. And this is my radio work journey started. So, one day, uh, I, t- I took the faculty of uh, Arabic literature in the State Islamic University in Yogyakarta. So in that university, I learned Arabic more. And also one day I was walking on the street. There was a radio station play country song, cowboy song. I didn't know what it was country, cowboy song, but I fell in love. I started to in love with that radio station. And then I tried to find out I want to be a radio announcer in that radio station because I want to learn that music is beautiful. So I moved the faculty from Arabic literature to communication and broadcast in the same university right, because they have community radio there. So I spend my time in that community radio in the campus and even I didn't rent a room. I make that community radio station as my room. So there was very common for students there like staying in the university. They didn't rent room because they don't have money. So number of them like spending time in a mosque, sleep in a mosque. So so that was the start. I practiced day and night until I get that job. So after I got a job, then I discover country music and learn more about country music and also learn English more uh, through country music.
1: So fascinating journey for sure. I mean, uh, growing up in, in, a, in a hometown that, as you said, had water buffaloes, didn't have electricity, making your way towards an Islamic school where you faced some really tough challenges for a number of years and then going through some rowdy street behavior in terms of mugging, but then eventually making your way towards the radio station where you clearly crafted your skill. So then how did you make your way towards Newfoundland?
0: Yeah, uh, let's start in Yogyakarta. There was Big Earthquake in 2005, 2006. So... uh Five uh, thousand six hundred people died in the same day. Uh, I was almost dead as well. And two thousand ten, I finished my degrees and uh, also volcano eruptions. Uh, um, around three hundred something people died in the same uh, place. So I was living in the uh, <laughs> a Ring of Fire, really a Ring of Fire. So uh, every day, what I was thinking about is uh, yeah,
1: Johnny Cash, right? Yeah. Ring of Fire. Ring of
0: Fire. Yeah. It's, it's like uh, it's like uh, every day I will uh, I will die, whatever the situation. But the spirit is. Take every minute as a gift. If you die, you die. But when you leave, leave it. So that's that's what I always think uh, about. So, long story short again, I moved to Jakarta to work at the biggest radio stations all across Indonesia and work at TV as well. So in Jakarta, I met this guy. I didn't know where he came from, but one one day I, I wrote a song. I don't know where you came from, but I got a hunch it involved you. It's right where I want to be, in your arms. So that's, that's the song I wrote as well. Uh, suddenly, I fell in love with this person. So that's how it starts. Where I have to live. Indonesia is not safe. Uh, to be honest, I, I didn't know Canada much. As a news anchor, I didn't hear many bad news from Canada. Because, you know, news is mostly bad news, right? <laughs> bad news travel fast, that's that, that, what they said. And I didn't want to research about Canada as well, because uh, I love country music. I'm a country boy. <laughs> so mostly uh, movies, all kind of things. It's from United States, not from Canada. But the first time I came here, I experienced something. Oh, this is interesting land. The first time I landed in 2016. So uh, that moment was, ah, Canada is beautiful. Stop in Toronto and then fly to Newfoundland. In Newfoundland, I experienced cod jigging and uh, fishing trout. And I look at sunset. It's beautiful sunset. This is the spot I love the most in this planet. So uh, it's like if if I die, if I want to be buried, I want to be buried here, place. And then stop at the Signal Hill. I breathe. I feel the freedom came back to me. So I came back again to uh, Jakarta and we had. Me and my partner had a serious discussion what's next so because uh, i always say that life is short uh someone experienced twice is almost dead i always have my own opinion about life at this moment if people are not happy with my life please be unhappy that's not my problem anymore so what i'm doing is now i'm going to respect everybody just that's it
1: zai how about you um read us or actually sing us a few Uh, lyrics from your song then, Don't Tell Me Mudder, because you've spent a considerable amount of time telling us about its origin and purpose.
0: Sure, why not? Let's go.
1: I was born in Bangor in
0: 1980. My mom and dad loved me. It's alright by me. I was very Muslim. Didn't have a choice. I had a lot to say. I didn't have a voice new newfoundland i'm glad i'm here i'm living in paradise i'm drinking beer but don't tell me mother that's right
1: zai what's your what's your dream in newfoundland
0: my dream is simple i want to love without prejudice because love is not a mistake And I want to enjoy life and I want to contribute with my skill. And I want to give my body and soul to country that love me and give me rights. Because when that country give my rights, I will give my rights back as a citizen. And my biggest dream is in the future. I always think about to have a radio station for newcomers. And also uh, in arts, because a number of arts I want to pursue as well as a a mime actor, and also musician. I want to contribute with uh, art uh, I have. So whatever is that in the future, I just want to spend the rest of my life here in Newfoundland and Labrador.
1: Thank you, Zai, for sharing such an enlightening experience of your life here on Global Frequencies. You're most welcome. That was Zai Nova with his fascinating story about growing up in Indonesia and then making his spectacular journey over here to our island of Newfoundland and Labrador. Up next, diversity talk. Diversity Training Officer, Sanchita Chakraborty will be deconstructing diversity for us. What is it? Let's find out.
2: Hello, I'm Sanchita Chakraborty, Diversity Training Officer at the Association for New Canadians. For the past 10 years, I have focused on diversity training in the school system. I often get to hear, well, children don't see differences when it comes to others' cultures, color, etc. While there is positive intention in such a statement, however, in reality, the opposite is true. Studies have shown that by the age of 6 or 7 years, children become aware of diversity and differences around them and in society. A big portion of Canada's population growth is built on immigration, and Newfoundland and Labrador is a province where population is rapidly diversifying. Our community is ever-growing, evolving, and it is wonderful when children and youth observe and appreciate the differences. As a diversity officer, I work to minimize the potential influence of ethnocultural or ethnocentric bias, fear, confusion, or conflict by encouraging to promote the knowledge and education of the multicultural society, hence the strength of diversity. I offer interactive presentations online and in class when permitted to support primary and elementary aged students in learning about diversity to embrace fully peace and harmony. To learn more about our diversity presentations for school system, please contact at Chakraborty, that is S-C-H-A-K-R-A-B-O-R-T-Y at c a, Or just make a quick phone call, 709-722-0718. I am Sanchita Chakraborty for today's Diversity Talk. After this break, we have two
1: upcoming new musicians from South Sudan who um, experienced quite a fair bit of challenges in their life, but music was perhaps always on their mind. So we have James Pare and Zuba from South Sudan coming up right after this.
3: Volunteering, it can begin with the simplest of gestures, a gift of time, energy, commitment. Something precious that grows stronger with every hand that touches it and grows across communities and through the very fabric of our nation and begins once again with the simplest of gestures. To Canada's six and a half million volunteers, thanks. A message from Volunteer Canada, the government of Canada and this station.
0: This is Global Frequencies only on CHMR-FM.
1: Welcome back to Global Frequencies, where we explore a plethora of ideas and segments, one of them being music. And for this particular episode, we have James Pare and Zuba from South Sudan, who were interviewed in studio by Zai So let's find out more about uh, why they love music. They write their own music. Let's explore more and talk with Zai about that.
0: Welcome back to Global Frequencies, this is Global Music, where we introduce to you musicians from all over the world to this province. I'm Zainova, of course, and today we have two folks from
4: South Sudan. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, please introduce uh, yourself. James Parry, PJ. So, I'm uh, South Sudanese by nationality. Mm-hmm. So, folks from New Fee, so you know. Oh, that's yeah.
0: awesome. It, yeah. You're working now? Yeah, I
4: work now. Look at that,
0: you're bling bling.
4: Yeah, yeah my man. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Thank you, my man. Thank you, my man. Make <laughs> place.
5: And Zuba. Yeah, my name is Zuba, 4,000 kg. And some people used to ask, why, why is it my name like Zuba, 4,000 kg? You know, yeah. I'm heavy musically. That's the thing. Okay. And that is, it's just very short, like 4,000 kg. I'm very heavy musically. That's why I put that kg there to, you know, 4,000 kilogram.
0: Okay. Yeah. And uh, you guys already produced a number of videos as well. Oh, and yeah. It's
4: wonderful. Last Saturday, we just dropped a new I watch video. that. You watch that. Right? Yeah, you're okay. right. It's now trading on YouTube, bro. Like everybody loves okay. it. You know? yeah.
0: Okay. Let's talk about a little bit music before uh, you guys come to uh, Canada. What kind of music mostly in South Sudan people play? People play different kind
4: of music there. Mm-hmm. And uh, most of people, let me say, they do music. Mm-hmm. and. Uh, my brother here is the one who started music first of all before okay. me, and uh, me inspired me to to do music. So mm-hmm. my first track was. Oh, uh, so
0: Zuba first. Yeah. And which one is the eldest? Me. Oh. Yeah, I'm the heavyweight. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you 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 learn from your younger brother. Yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. Okay. He, he, Zuba, he, he inspired me. He's going okay. me to music, you know, all like. Right. Uh, he he got that talent of creating mm-hmm. new music every day. Like yeah. once he, he go to shower in mm-hmm. the washroom, he start singing from there. I'm listening all the time. Then I punch in 2015. Yeah, that's when I, I we did mm-hmm. a song which is called "Jesus are My Way." We did the song together. Mm-hmm. And then he showed me the way to do, uh, to write lyrics mm-hmm. and uh, create a good content, a good song, good good stuff. So that's why by we i get into music and uh, it motivates me mm. and then i start writing music
0: okay yeah. zuba
4: how do you write
5: <laughs> yep i write songs like uh when i go to the bathroom
0: oh okay. when i'm taking shower uh, this is uh, this is what happens when Zuba in the washroom. Make sure uh, you guys need to wait about fifty minutes <laughs> <laughs> because he's writing you know.
4: <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah.
0: So the inspiration mostly coming uh, in in bathroom. Yeah,
4: <laughs> when he's, when he's listening to audio, audio most of the time when he's listening audio, he he's he seeing a lot. Like, okay.
0: Yeah. So if a washroom broken, he will not write. <laughs> <laughs>
5: for sure. So that's what I do. And again. About South Sudan music, as you said, like in South Sudan, we have a lot of artists, a lot of artists who are doing different kind of genre of mm-hmm. music. Some of them are doing hip hop, yeah. Afro music, reggae, and reggaeton. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of kind of music, Africa, like in my country, people do, like we have a lot of young talented artists who are doing mm-hmm. so much music, so much music.
0: So yeah. pick me one song that you guys like when you listen to this song, we listened to this song years ago. <laughs> what,
4: yeah. s- what song is that? Uh, it Jesus Your Way. Jesus Your Way. This is your own song or our song. Like oh, okay, yeah. Song. yeah, all right. Like, so. uh, we made it with a family. Mm-hmm. As a family, we, all of us, we sing. Oh, okay. We have a little sister even in the song. Okay. It's called Susan, so. Okay, the so. good. So,
0: let's listen to this song now.
4: Jesus, Almighty Father, is our Savior, is our Protector. If you see, come to Him, He will heal you. Make Jesus your destiny in your life. Jesus, you are my way. God is love, God the Lord, I need you. Jesus, you are my way. God is love,
5: God the Lord, I need you. Jesus, you are my way. God is love, God the Lord, I need you. Jesus, you are my way. God is love, God the Lord, I need you. me I leave my friends to you,
4: Jesus. Oh, I leave my family to you, Jesus. Oh, I leave your church to you,
0: Jesus. Oh, I leave my problems to you, Jesus. Oh, now I tell us the memories behind that song.
5: Well, in that song, like the memory behind that song is one. We were going by that time in a very hard moment. Yeah. Like we were just stranded in a place where we didn't know how our life is going to be. Mm-hmm. It's going to end. And the life was so, like back and behind, like all our circle was just like blind. We don't know where our life is going to end. And life was so hard. Mm-hmm. And then we, we look around, we didn't know where to go. We didn't know where yes. to start life. And again, we decided like, the only person who can change our life who can mm-hmm. make a way for us is jesus okay and that's when now we came up with that song mm-hmm. and then we started making the song into into practice into writing mm-hmm. and we'll be able to go to another organization called film Aid. yeah and then from there that's when now we 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 get to record the song and the song is really nice we have not mm-hmm. released the song yet since okay. 2015. Mm-hmm. up to now we have not released the song anywhere like the songs it is it need the like like too much attention for us to release a song it need a quality promotion and and yeah. attention on how to make it a successful song mm-hmm. because that song we put all our energy into it and we produce the song during the very hard moment of
0: our life and yeah and now let's talk about the music i listen to all the music you guys said doing uh, start from Disturbing song. I just, disturbing song means to me. It's, it's not bad. Yeah, It's not bad thing. It's really good. But disturbing my sleep. Oh, <laughs> Disturbing my sleep. Because when I sleep. Uh, y- your song always there in my mind. Yeah. Okay. Mamacita.
4: <laughs> oh yeah. It's burning. Yeah.
0: Like, why? This song always in my head.
4: Yeah, That is the biggest song that we have did here. Yeah. In St. John's. And uh, we really love the song. This is the second song the song that we both love it so mm-hmm. much yeah. it is the biggest song in our album so yeah probably, okay yeah. So wanna play that? yeah if you want to listen to Mama Sita Mama Sita is here sure ladies and gentlemen the first time in the air of Canada Mama Sita hey,
0: Mama
5: Sita it is burning Mama Sita hey, hey. Came all your way and hoping my heart you had run all again. Oh my god, all I did in your name is for granted. My vacuum is burning. Show yourself into your mighty one Show your face, Mama Sita, Mama Sita. Hey, Mama you are the one my heart is for mama sita you are the one i'm looking for mama sita you are the one my heart is for my mind my body you are the one my heart is for mama sita you are the one my heart is for, Mamacita. You are the one I'm looking for, Mamacita. You are the one my heart is for, my mind, my, my body. You are the one my heart is for.
4: I put myself down to
0: beg you. That is Mamacita and Steel with me Zenova and Jim Spade and Zuba 4000 KJ. 4, <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm talking about, hey, a yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, who wrote that song? Me. You. Yeah. O- who's the inspiration? <laughs> tell me now, tell me.
3: <laughs> oh,
5: I was just like uh, trying to view... Most of the time when I'm writing my songs or when, when I'm writing my song, I always look at the situation other people are going through mm. in trying to write a song according to the way people are going through situations that yeah. they you know most of the song if you if you can listen to it mm-hmm. it's a song that somebody can relate to somewhere yeah. Yeah. so that's what I I always do when I'm trying to write a song i saw some people going through such kind of situation mm. yeah. then i sit and try to question myself then i yeah. sit down and start writing the song when i write a song i come to him then i'm like Mm-hmm. Here is the song, can we work on it together? Yeah. And then we start working on it, and then you come up with these mm-hmm. verses. and then we try to redo it and rewrite it
0: again. Okay. Then it becomes a song. Okay, uh, you didn't answer my question, Who behind the song? <laughs> <laughs> be, honest. be honest, be honest, be honest.
5: Nobody's behind the song.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. And let's talk
5: about the last song. The last song, the one we did, like uh, we did Son Lonely song. So lonely go so, so lonely. lonely you are like magnet,
0: magnet. zuba <laughs> mm-hmm. every song you wrote disturb my sleep <laughs> it's come to my head yeah before i go to sleep yeah so you were so lonely that time or just you see someone is lonely
5: yeah i saw somebody even me sometimes i can feel very lonely very lonely then because I, so when i feel lonely i look at myself and i be like now my fiance is not here now and she's far far from me. And again, I have to have that passion in my heart, mm-hmm. in my mind. And also, she's so lonely. Okay. And her body is like magnet in my head. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. Like yes. magnet. Magnet, yeah. Whenever I try to sleep, I can only see her body like inside my head. Mm-hmm. And then I'm like, she's like magnet in my head, and in my heart, she's just like all over me. Oh. And then.
0: That's. Uh- uh, thank you for telling that. Uh, <laughs> that. Yeah.
5: yeah. Yeah. So then I made that song I didn't for that. You didn't
0: know
4: that? Didn't know that? Yeah, yeah. I told him. I thought. I thought. Um, so it, he hides from you. Yeah. He hides from me. Thank you, Zai. <laughs> thank thank you. <laughs> you. You're most welcome. Yeah. Thank so, you, man. So, this song so, is all about
5: my family. Like, oh. because <laughs> she's far from me. We are going through tough times. Oh, no. Sometimes we can fight. We can hide you, but we keep moving. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, since I'm so lonely right now. What I can do is to make a song that can would would, would relate to my story. Maybe somebody somewhere is lonely like me.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. Let's listen to the song now. So, so lonely First time you pass by my car crust.
5: Ooh yeah. The way you move in my corros. Baby baby. I wanna make up to you as you just run with you. I'm crazy, I'm crazy. I'm crazy, lonely, lonely girl. I'm crazy, I'm crazy. So lonely girl. So lonely, you are like a magnet. So lonely girl. So lonely, your body like a magnet. So lonely girl. So lonely, you are like a magnet. So lonely girl.
0: Welcome back. Mula, Thank you very much for that song. Mula, so lonely.
5: So lonely. You are la, is it juju wala mula one day? You see? <laughs> <laughs> you see? I'm telling her.
6: Okay.
5: I'm telling her. Is it juju? Like, is it a magic? She did to make uh, juju me juju is, is magic,
0: magic. Yeah. Uh, in it's from Nigeria, it's from Nigeria, word. from Nigeria. So, yeah. juju is magic, magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in mm-hmm. Nigeria, I keep you a juju, juju.
4: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're gonna die yeah. now,
0: nah. <laughs> you're gonna disappear yeah. now,
5: nah. yeah. yeah. Juju, yeah. So, then I'm like mixing that thing, and I'm like, if is it juju she did to me? Oh, Mulawande, Mulawande is also another way of saying Mm. the same thing. What is Juju? I'm trying to ask her, is it Juju she did to my body or my Mm. brain? Like, I should just
0: think about her every single minute? You are hypnotized by by her. Okay. um. So, guys, uh, what's your big dream for this kind of music in Newfoundland?
5: We want to go globally. I want
0: to share a state with with Justin Bieber.
5: We are very angry artists. Hungry, right? Hungry. Hungry, okay. (laughs) We are
0: just angry yeah. for that, you know. That is our goal. James, what's the challenge you and Zuba face as a new musician coming to Newfoundland? Uh, Don't tell me Snow, OK?
4: Uh, only music. <laughs> <laughs> only music. No, no Snow. Uh, first of all, the challenge we face most is uh, recording in studio. We mm-hmm. are trying all our best to have, we need to have our personal producer, mm-hmm. somebody who's going to be there for us to record our song. Mm-hmm. Any, like. Like once you create a song, mm. it's going to take us a time. We need to look for somebody. Mm. We need to book an appointment. Yeah. Sometimes we book, it fails. Sometimes we... So we need somebody who's going to be there for us. At any time we create a song, yeah. Pop, we record. Mm. Then we create a beat so quick and we do it. Mm. That's the main challenge. And we, we doesn't have our own studio, like personal studio. But yeah. our producer will be there all the time. Mm-hmm. those are the challenges which is facing us taking us back and yeah. uh, we we normally like going forward i hope that will be better in the future so zuban barry how can we find your music yeah. so we're looking up to you guys just follow us on facebook james Parre zuba 4000 kg and also on instagram or twitter anything you're gonna find us there just follow us down there and also on youtube we have a song Uh, All our songs in YouTube, just search James Parry, Zuba 4000, JG. So you're gonna find it there, everything there. Thank you so much. Pick up. Okay. One love. Bye for now. Thank you.
7: Listen to Global Frequencies, a new program celebrating diversity in Newfoundland and Labrador, covering topics pertinent to the diversification of the province, multiculturalism, immigrant businesses, anti-racism, integration, economic growth, and more every second Wednesday, 7 p.m. on CHMR 93.5 FM and on Spotify, Apple Podcast, and Google Podcast. This program is presented by the Association for New Canadians and CHMR 93.5 FM with funding from Community Radio Fund of Canada, Atlantic Canada's Opportunities Agency, and the Office of Immigration and Multiculturalism. Global Frequencies, Diverse Province, Diverse Voices.
0: You are listening to Global Frequencies, Diverse Province, Diverse Voices.
1: As we start wrapping up the show, we have one final segment for you coming from the western coast of Newfoundland. Association for New Canadians Business Diversity Officer Stephen Blackwood from their satellite office in Cornbrook held a panel discussion titled Campus and Community. This particular seminar focused on international students' contributions to community vibrancy in the province's west coast. Here's an excerpt from that discussion. You will hear from panelists such as Shireen Merchant, Benson Gihangange, Melissa Halford, and Natasha Hillier.
8: Welcoming everybody to our panel, it's called Campus and Community, Contributions of International Students on the West Coast. My name is Steve Blackwood, and I'm a Business uh, Diversity Officer at the Association for New Canadians here in Cornerbrook. So before we get started, I'll acknowledge that we are uh, the lands on which we're situated today, wherever we are in Newfoundland and Labrador, are in the traditional territories of diverse indigenous groups. And we acknowledge with respect the diverse histories and cultures of Bayotic. Mi'kmaq, Inu, and Inuit of this province. So we're gonna chat about contributions that international students are making both to um, you know, our post-secondary educational institutions and the communities in which they're residing. Okay, so let's turn to a brief introduction of our panelists. So Shireen Merchant is originally from Pakistan. She arrived in the winter of 2019. She's studying visual arts at Grenville campus and is almost finished her second year. She's an international caucus, a student's caucus representative and works with student services as an assistant for the uh, international division as well. So Benson Gihangye is originally from Rwanda. He arrived in Cornbrook in August of 2019. And uh, Benson has a master's of science in agricultural economics and management and is currently completing his Ph.D. in transdisciplinary and sustainability at uh, Grenville campus. So uh, on the staff side of things, we have Melissa Halford. She's the, uh oversees the ESL programs at Grenfell campus. That includes the Intensive English program and the Intensive English Bridge program and community ESL programs. Finally, we've got Natasha Hillier, who is a student development officer with the College of the North Atlantic. Uh, she's originally from Cornerbrook. Okay, so welcome everybody. So we're gonna talk about how the process of internationalization has changed these post-secondary institutions over the last number of years at Grenfell campus and the College of North Atlantic. Um, we're going to look at it from the institutional perspective, we're going to look at it from the student's perspective, and we'll talk about anything else that pops up in the course of that examination. So to break the ice and stop talking, I'd like to uh, sort of ask each of our student panelists Diversification is—it's increasing sort of everywhere, slowly but surely, in our area. So let's chat a tiny bit about uh, the benefits, culturally, economically, and otherwise, in the region. How do you think that internationalization is um, transforming our local uh, institu- educational institutions? Now, Shireen, you've been here for a little bit longer, so maybe I'll ask that of you first.
9: Um, I believe that. Uh, since- from another part of the world completely from a different continent and I've been like I I've grown up in Pakistan but then I did my high school in um, Dar es Salaam which is in Tanzania Africa so I I think I have those experiences different experiences I have met different people from different cultures and when you bring experience somewhere I think it definitely helps out the community in a way that OK, if I'm working off campus, I think I can, you know, provide services in a way differently from a domestic student would do. So definitely, that's what where, where I think diversity is very important, is bringing a new perspective, there's chance and of uh, innovation and creation. That's how I feel about it.
3: Excellent. Benson,
8: would you like to add anything to that?
3: I agree with uh, Sharon. Myself, I did my first master's in China, and uh, so... Counting China and uh, my own country and other neighboring countries of my own that I I had the chance to to be into, I would say the more you travel, the more you get mixed with the local people, new cultures, new perspectives. So it changes who you are and uh, what you have to offer. For instance, I like to go around in Cornerbrook and uh, look at economically speaking, I mean businesses. Have you noticed how many Asian cuisine restaurants we have in Cornerbrook? So far I've visited like two or three and uh, the more we have other people from outside the province, the more investors I are going to invest in the, in the province. And also the more the community is diversified, the more we need other things, other businesses, other openings that we can produce from. So, in my perspective, I would say international expression in this province has brought knowledge expansion. For instance, I'm the only one from my country on this side of the island. And every time people hear about Rwanda, they instinctively think about the Rwandan genocide. But we are more than that. So, every time I, I, I come across someone, I say, Where are you from? How long have you been here? And so I tell them, I'm from Rwanda. They're like, Oh, the genocide. Yeah, the genocide, but there's more to it. So I get the chance to share my history, my people's history, my country's history, where we come from, what we have achieved, and who knows, maybe some people can learn from my my background, my experience. So I think it's a good opportunity to expand one's education, history, culture, and learn from each other.
9: Yeah, and also like Newfoundland is like a small island. So when you come here, if anyone coming from outside, they come here, they bring a new perspective, new idea. So suppose if I'm living in Newfoundland for years and if I've grown up here, I think I will have like a same direction which everyone has here. But an international student coming, they might have a different perspective about that same thing. So having new ideas, I think it has really helped out Newfoundland in various ways.
8: That's, yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, so I'll, I'll turn to uh, Melissa and Natasha now. So how long have uh, your respective institutions been uh, focused on attracting international students? And then please say something about how that recruitment process has evolved over the last uh, you know, few years.
10: Here at the College of the North Atlantic, organically, um, student recruitment has happened for about the past 20 years. In China, and we have many projects that we run in Africa and the Caribbean. So it's kind of done organically with not a, a complete structure in place, but we had yeah, saw students trickle in because of those projects work that we did abroad. Um, For the past three years, there has been more of an emphasis on student recruitment. My position was created eight months ago, and now we are heavily working um, to recruit international students to the college, and we have seen growth over the past number of years. Um, In terms of recruiting international students, we see that as a great opportunity not only for the college, but also for the province because as we know, Newfoundland is an aging population. So bringing international students to the college not only helps our institution in terms of being diverse and attract different cultures, but it also helps our province because now we are seeing young people um, of, all, of aging and ages come to our institution and hopefully stay and then live in Newfoundland and continue to work here as well. So we see it as um, both helpful for our institution and our province as a whole.
8: Fantastic. Melissa, um, would like to add to that?
6: Sure, yeah. Um, from the, the grantful perspective, um, you know, I guess speaking generally, I think of universities as very international places anyway, right? I mean, there's always been sort of that diversity of networks and research and students and that kind of thing. So much like Natasha was saying, like people from all over the world find themselves at institutions of higher learning for various reasons, even just sort of in that that natural sort of migration of people, but obviously there has been a, a lot of more emphasis on recruiting those students for some of the reasons that Natasha was was saying. And that's why, you know, Shireen can say, well, someone showed up at my high school and told me about <laughs> about Memorial because we're out there looking for people to try to get them here. Um, so that's, that's obviously happening. And, and we have a couple of different streams too. So to, to think about not just um, like degree bound international students and that kind of thing, we also welcome lots of exchange students to Grenfell campus or students just coming for short-term language study or that kind of thing, just to have that, that diversity of people on our campus. And and I'm kind of circling back to something that Shereen mentioned, and it brought a, a small anecdote to mind that I'll share, because I think it's relevant, but about what what diversity brings to a campus, right? So I remember like my office used to be on like a fairly busy corridor and there was like a little bench outside where people would just sort of like sit on their way to the cafeteria or get their stuff in their bags sorted out or whatever. And I remember hearing it was like the first day of class or like the first week of class. And like these students, and I I could tell from their accent, they were from Newfoundland. (laughs) I'm familiar with that dialect myself. And uh, they were talking to each other. And one student said, like, did you know there's people here not from Canada? And it was like, mind blowing for this student. And I don't know where exactly he was from. But I remember thinking, like, when I heard him say that, like, this is a big day for that person. Like, you know, coming to post-secondary is all about, you know, expanding what you thought you knew or expanding what you know. And all of a sudden, this person was like, oh, I'm going to be exposed to a lot more than I realized I was. And it's it's exactly what Shereen's saying, right? It's like, suddenly you're working in different groups of people than you're used to if maybe you grew up in in a small community, right? Shereen talked about that path, right? And that path just widened out. And, we see students here, you know, I talked about welcoming exchange students here, but we also see our students going out on exchange. And so like having that kind of mobility of, of, of people to and from our campus, I think it's really special. It's, re- it's a really big part of post-secondary education. And it's really important um, for individuals and for the, the province as well.
8: Yeah. And I mean, I think for a lot of people from our region, it, it may be the only opportunity for them to have that kind of experience or, you know, at, uh, at that stage in their lives, anyway. That's um, kind of a good segue into the next thing I wanted to talk about, um, basically how the increasing numbers of international students have transformed, uh, you know, the institutions in which uh, you both work. Um, sort of a follow-up to the kind of question I asked uh, Benson and Shireen. Do you, uh, Natasha, do you want to say something about how the uh, increasing number of students has, has uh, transformed the uh, College of North Atlantic?
2: Sure. So
10: I think one of the big things is exactly like you said, it provides an opportunity for students in our region who might not have otherwise had that. So for a lot of, inter- of students, domestic students at college of the North Atlantic, they wouldn't travel abroad. So by having international students come here to study in Newfoundland, this gives them a global classroom. So having been both an educator of international students and having been an international student myself, I know how rich of an experience that is to have those diverse cultures in a classroom, whether it be through conversations that they're having in class or group work that they're doing together. They're learning about different cultures. They're learning about different practices, even studying habits. And from all this, you're taking little pieces and that's what builds a rich um, college or university experience is what, what we've learned from each other. And I think when we bring the world into us as much as we like to go out, out sometimes maybe that's not possible but like i said by bringing that in to the classroom to us we are just enriching the experience um, educationally for our students um, i think also too by having international students come here it also impacts our communities um, we know that a lot of local employers are finding it hard to fill service positions for example um, or essential service jobs and a lot of international students are filling those gaps in our community, so that is something that is helping um, international students because they are able to support their studies um, by having a part-time job. As we know, they're able to work up to 20 hours, and that's also helping our our economy because, as um, you may or may not know, CNA has 17 campuses across Newfoundland, so we are able to get, have campuses in those small rural areas, and then that is able to give back to the local economies because there's. Um, students there who are able to work. So I think it's a really good thing to have international students in our campuses, both for our students, um, the local economy, and the institutions themselves as a whole.
8: Yeah, I love that uh, that expression of a global classroom. I mean, you kind of associate that with something, you know, that's sort of inherently online or, you know, internet-based, which I guess kind of everything is right now for the moment. Right. But uh, even, you know, when, when we're not living in that world. Uh, yeah. It, it's, it's bringing the global to the local. Melissa, um, do you want to amplify on any of that or?
6: Sure. Yeah. I think like at Grenfell, one of the things that tends to come to mind, I think when we think about like the, like the growing international student community is like some of the programming, right? So, you know, there's international night. There's lots of moments when we invite community members up to campus and to sort of get a, a feel for what campus is like, how, how diverse our campus is, But I can't help but think too a, a bit more about like what the classroom experience is like. And I don't wanna like speak at a turn here either because I'm not a faculty member. And so I, I don't like teach at Grenfell. And so if if anyone on the call who would like to add to this can, but anecdotally what I have heard from faculty members is the idea that say 10 years ago when there was like you know single digit numbers of international students on campus, the approach to the class was very much sort of like, well, this is the default perspective, the sort of the Newfoundland perspective. Oh, yeah, what do you think you're not from here to kind of just get as opposed to things are shifting now, right? Like the, the number of international students on campus is increasing. So it's not like you're just coming from one angle and asking for someone else's that it's sort of like, okay, well, we've all got something different here. How can we all look at this situation? And even that's helping people to identify or to, to recognize the fact that there are multiple perspectives from within every culture too, right? So what angle is everybody coming at this from as opposed to, well, this is sort of what we do. What do you think? Um, kind of having that broader lens is the way I kind of think about it. So like I said, I'm not in the classroom necessarily just to give like specific examples of that, but from speaking with colleagues who do, you know, lead classes on a regular basis, it seems like that shift is happening as the numbers are going up and I can only see positive in that. In, in that.
8: So, um, how do you think that international students have changed the dynamic at your institutions? Not just at your institutions, but also like at the in the wider community, socially, culturally, economically. I know, Natasha, you already said a little bit about that, but uh, is there any more you can add?
6: Like, obviously, a lot of students, a lot of people end up here uh, to be students at Brentville, but they are so much more than that, right? You don't spend 24 hours a day being a student, even though I'm sure it feels like that when final Roll around, hey eh, guys! But uh, you know, you're you are much more than that, and so that's what happens, right? You it like Shireen brought up the the church breakfasts, right? I mean, like that's such a perfect example of just that's a big part of, of, of men, for many students a big part of their life, right? And so that community exists, you know, sort of separate yet connected to the Grenfell community. Um, you know, your your colleague, the people that you work with, your friend communities. Like, there's so much. You're not just students, right? You're residents of the province and or of the community or whatever, and so you you become part of various communities in that way. And like I, I think of Shereen, I, I know her because you know we've worked together on lots of projects. And when you say you've only been here two years, I mean it feels like you've been here for so long because you've been involved in so much. I feel like you're just sort of always there, right? And I think about you know when you're talking about building your your confidence, I think it's because you've taken on so many. Uh, like leadership opportunities. And I think that is kind of an experience that's a bit unique in some ways for international students. I mean, like, it's, it's like Benson was saying, you show up in a place and you don't even necessarily have like a can opener. Like where do you begin? Right. And so you really have to take a lot more initiative, a lot more steps. And then that just builds more connections with people, especially when people are open to the connections, right? If someone is like, let me help you out with that. And then like relationships kind of form and things develop from there. And I mean, I think, that it sometimes it is the little things like we go too far sometimes we're like oh we should have a multiculturalism event of some kind which are great and there's like there's lots of great opportunities with those big events but sometimes it is just like the small the small interactions that make the biggest difference um and that can just like can lead to those this idea of the welcoming communities right like it's so hard to capture what that is what that means like what do we do how do we become that but I think it like at the end of the day, it comes down to just like someone helping you out, someone giving you a drive somewhere or hooking you up with a, you know, a can opener or whatever the case is. Right. That we like I think that that's such a big part of of just how we can all be working together and, and even create more positivity from from the situation.
8: OK, well, I, I think that's about it. So I think I'm just going to clue up by uh, thanking everybody for participating and for being in the audience.
3: Thanks for having us.
8: Thanks. And uh, goodbye.
1: Well, that's it for today folks hope you guys enjoyed the show and if you did let us know if you would like to be on the show send us an email at globalfrequencies@ancnl.ca at ancnl.ca or search for us on google simply association for new canadians and you will find out more about our services get in touch with us and until next time adios this is from your host and friend Nabila Qureshi until next time
0: Thank you for listening to Global Frequencies, Diverse Province, Diverse Voices. This program is presented by the Association for New Canadians and CHMR 93.5 FM with funding from the Community Radio Fund of Canada. The ANC is a non-profit community-based organization dedicated to the provision of settlement and integration services for immigrants in the province for over 40 years. CHMR-FM is an award-winning community radio station operating out of Memorial University. The station has been broadcasting a range of music, spoken word, and cultural programming since 1987. If you would like to touch base with us, email us at globalfrequencies@ancnl.ca. at ancnl.ca.